Amen. You may be seated. Well, we have officially entered into the Christmas season. Thanksgiving is over, which means there's probably been a lot of decorations. Uh, maybe you've already bought some gifts. How many of you ladies have already watched a Hallmark Christmas movie? Okay, that's way too many. That is way too many. Um, that is like on repeat at my house during the month of December. So it's like the worst time of my life. But um, so Christmas is here or it's getting here. Okay, as you see, the church looks great. Thank you, Mandy and her family decorated this week and it looks awesome. Thank you guys very much. Um, but today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we want to look at 1 Corinthians 15. Remember I told you last week we'd come back to 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, I believe this is a key chapter in the Bible. And mainly because of one word. And that word is resurrection. Chapter 15 is key in so many aspects of our life. And it's because of one word. And the word is resurrection. I know that seems like an odd thing to talk about around Christmas time, doesn't it? I mean, resurrection we're supposed to talk about during Easter, right? That's resurrection messages during Easter. And during December is when we talk about the birth of Jesus. And while the birth of the Christmas story gives us hope, the birth of Jesus offers hope. But it's a resurrection that guarantees that hope, if that makes sense. See, without the resurrection, nothing else matters. That's how key the resurrection is in our life. If Jesus was just born, and then if Jesus just died, he was just another man. The fact that he rose again makes a huge difference. So the resurrection is what guarantees our hope. So I want to spend the next couple weeks just talking about the resurrection. We're going to look at it from several different aspects. But it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Um, will you pull me down just a little bit? Um, thank you very much. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, it says this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have, re you have believed in vain. Listen to verse 3. For what I passed, what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. So Paul is going to point out three things from this chapter, and he says these things are of first importance. Okay, so he's going to say, these things I'm going to talk to you about is, is the most important things. Okay, this is first important. So the first thing he points out to us is this. Number one, Jesus died for our sins. It says, what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins. But it says he died for our sins according to the scriptures. You notice Paul here, he skips over the birth of Jesus. He skips over the miracles of Jesus. He skips over the life of Jesus. And he gets right to the death. And he says, this is of first importance, that Jesus died for our sins. So he died for my sins. He died for your sins. He died for our sins collectively. And for Just let that sink in for just a moment. That Jesus Christ died for your sins. Just think about your sins this week. Just think about maybe the way you lived your life this week. Think about that person who cut you off in traffic and what you screamed at that person who cut you off in traffic. 
think about Black Friday shopping and maybe how hopefully how good representation of Jesus you were or maybe you were not. I don't know. It depends on what you're going after maybe. But think about your sins this week and then let it seek in for a moment that Jesus died for your sins. I think what we like to do is we kind of we like to think that we're really not that bad, right? We kind of like to think that, you know what, I'm really not that bad. Yes, I'm a sinner, I get that, okay, but I'm really not that bad. And we think that because we look at our life in view of comparison. We look at our life in view of comparing ourselves to others. And we typically compare ourselves to others that we know that we are probably better than. And we look at their life, we look at their struggles, and we're like, ah, I'm not struggling with that. I don't deal with that. So I'm, I am much better than, than most people. But the Bible says very simply that we're wicked. The Bible says we're so sinful that the only way we could get to God, the only way we could have a relationship with God was through Jesus. See, we all have this huge debt of sin, and the only way for that to be paid for was through the death of Jesus. In fact, Jesus' death is a proof of how much God loves us. Look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. It says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So it says we were enemies with God. We were separated from God. But Jesus' death gives us the opportunity for reconciliation. So it goes on to say that he died. Paul says this is of first importance that Jesus died, but he died according to the scriptures. And you see this all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 Jesus' death and resurrection is prophesied. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Most of us know the story of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. This is Genesis chapter, this is the fall of man, right? This is where everything went bad. Okay, Adam and Eve are hanging out in the garden. The serpent comes along and tempts Eve and Eve buys into the temptation and gives some to her husband who was with her. And then at that moment the Bible says... Their eyes were opened, and they felt shame for the first time. Sin at this point has now entered the picture, and at this point things were going to continue to go from bad to worse. Well, God shows up, and he says he's walking along the garden. He's calling out to Adam, so where are you? Where are you? And they go into this discourse about how God says, well, I told you you weren't supposed to eat of that tree. And then Adam said, well, you know, it's not my fault. It's the woman that you gave to me. You know, this is all on her. And so God goes through this list and says, now because of this, these are the things that are going to happen. And he looks at the serpent and look what he says to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's a prophecy of Jesus. He says, you're going to strike his heel. You're, you're going to elicit a blow. And you're going to think you've won. And the death of Jesus, Satan thought he won. He thought he won, but he forgot what God told him in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. When he says, but he will crush your head. He will ultimately have the last say. He goes on in Isaiah, is another prophecy of the death of Jesus. And as I read this... If I read this, I'd encourage you just to think about these words as you're going to see them up here on the screen. And did you really allow these words just 
Actually, let's just pray. Will you just pray with me? Father, I, as I read through Isaiah 53 this week, I, God, I couldn't help but get overwhelmed at all that you've done for me. God, in my prayer, Lord, even as we read through this passage right now, my prayer, God, is it doesn't just go in one ear and out the other, God, but it truly sets with us. God, and these words will truly impact us. God, because I believe whether we're a follower of Jesus or whether we're not a follower of Jesus, these words can truly change our life. God, speak to us as we read your word. Isaiah 53 says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Listen to verse 4. Surely he took upon our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the sin of us all. I love that where it says the punishment that brought us peace was on him. The fact that we can worship, the fact that we can sit in here and have joy and have peace is because of the death of Jesus. Because at that moment, God took all the sin of mankind and he literally put it on Jesus' shoulders. Because it was way too heavy for any of us to bear. So he put it on him. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Paul says, of first importance, Jesus died according to the scriptures. Number two, he tells us Jesus was buried. It goes on in verse 3, For what I received, I pass on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried. Now this seems very elementary, right? When someone dies, they're buried. Okay, that seems to be a very elementary thing. But the burial of Jesus had some huge implications. Now most time, the burial of Jesus, I think we kind of gloss over it a little bit. Okay, because we know this is like a holding pattern, right? Until the story gets really, really good. So we, we kind of gloss over this for a moment, but the birth, the, not the birth, but the burial of Jesus had some huge implications. First one is think about Joseph and Nicodemus. They show up after Jesus has died. Now this is very interesting because they were closet followers of Jesus, is the best way to put it. They were in the background. They were followers of Jesus, but they hadn't really made themselves known yet. Partly was they're part of the Sanhedrin. They're part of the ones who actually pushed for Jesus' crucifixion. 
So they're kind of our closet followers. But at, during, at this moment, at the burial of Jesus, they, 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 they begin to identify themselves with Jesus. Look what it says here in John chapter 19. It says, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night, which is very interesting. Nicodemus came and had a conversation with Jesus, but he came at night when nobody else would know that he was coming. And he has this conversation and this conversation about just um, new birth and regeneration and it says that Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. And then in verse 40, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was Jewish, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Huge implications because two followers are now coming out and recognizing themselves as followers of Jesus. But it was also huge because this was all the proof that Jesus' critics needed. The fact that Jesus died was a proof that they were looking for that he really wasn't God. Because if you remember, as he's hanging on the cross, they're saying, if you're really who you say you are, bring yourself down. If you're really who you, if you're really God, if you're really this Messiah, you can't even, how can you save us if you can't even save yourself? So at this moment, when Jesus is buried, all of his, all the people that weren't following him were like, we've won. This is victory. This movement is now can officially be dead. This movement of people following Jesus, it's done, it's finished. And at this moment, it feels like evil has won. And at this moment, Satan is sitting back with a big smile on his face. Because he feels like, yeah, I've got victory here. Also for the disciples... Their king was dead. Think about for a moment, if you're one of the 12 disciples, you'd follow Jesus for three years. You heard him talk about this new kingdom. And you heard him talk about all these things. How he was going, the Messiah was come. He was the Messiah. He's going to make all things right. And see, the problem was the disciples were thinking about an earthly kingdom. And Jesus was talking about a heavenly kingdom. But at the end, Jesus died and his disciples in their mind, it's over. Three years. Three years we followed this man and the moment they sealed their, the tomb, it all felt meaningless. We know that because many of them went back to their old lifestyles. Peter, what did Peter say? I'm going to go fishing. At this moment, everything seemed hopeless. And at the risk of over-spiritualizing this, the question I have for you, have you ever been there? Has it ever seemed like the tomb has kind of rolled over maybe some of your dreams? Has it ever seemed like maybe the tomb has kind of closed over some things in your life that you thought God was going to bring to fruition? 
you thought some things were going to happen and you had your life planned out a certain way and things happened in life and at this moment it kind of almost seems like the tomb has been shut and things really seem hopeless and meaningless. And I think because we know how the story ends, it's so easy for us to gloss over the burial. But this was a very dark time in Scripture. The Messiah, the one who was supposed to offer hope, joy, and peace in their minds is dead. And for two days, they sat with this. They sat with this feeling of hopelessness for two days. But we know how the story ends. One of the songs we said says this, Then on the third, at the break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. O trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. See, for two days they felt this hopelessness, this feeling of just doom and gloom. But on the third day, we know that he rose again. See, the reality of the death and the burial gives us even more significance to the reality of the fact that Jesus did rise from the dead, which brings us to number three. Jesus was raised on the third day. He died, he was buried, but he was raised on the third day. See, the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection is the reason why we are able to be saved and be made right with God. The resurrection is what gives us hope. It gives us peace. It gives us joy. The fact that Jesus defeated death means that his claims to be God were true. This is what we got to grab a hold of. It's the fact that Jesus defeated death, because that's exactly what happened. He didn't stay dead. He arose and he defeated death. It meant that all of his claims were valid. See, everything in our faith hinges upon the resurrection. Without the resurrection, everything we do is hollow. It's in vain. The resurrection is, is what gives it power, is what gives us hope, is what gives us joy. The fact that he defeated death means that we can have eternal life. We can have something to look forward to. We can know that this life is not all that there is. See, the, resurre the resurrection tells us, one, that we can be forgiven. It tells us that we can have our sins forgiven. That we don't have to carry the weight of our sins anymore. We can have our sins forgiven. It also tells us that we don't have to fear death. Now, this is huge. We don't have to fear death. Now, death is a very scary thing for some of us. It's a difficult thing to even think about. And death is something that will impact us all. All of us at one day, death will impact us in one way or another. Whether it's the fact that we pass away or whether the fact that we experience a passing away of a loved one, death impacts us all. But the resurrection tells us this, we don't have to fear death. The resurrection tells us that death is not the final answer. Death doesn't get the final say. I think back to my grandfather. And the resurrection guarantees me the fact that I will see him again. It guarantees that. But not only will I see him again, but Scripture says I will see him in his glorified body. See, what that means is that one day, this body 
that we each of us possess, all the hurt, all the aches, all the pains, one day when we see Jesus face to face, all that goes away. All that hurt, all that pain, all that goes away. And we're standing there with our glorified body, which what exactly that looks like, I don't know. But scripture says we're going to have this glorified body. All I know is that one day when I see Jesus, this is not the body I'm rocking. Okay? I'm going to have a glorified body. All right? And I'm happy about that. But I also know this. One day when I stand before Jesus, I'm going to see my mom. I haven't seen my mom since I was eight years old, but I'm going to see my mom. I'm going to see my grandfather. I'm going to get to hug them both. And while now, for me on earth, it feels like an eternity. Man, one day, death doesn't get the final say. And that's because of the resurrection. That's what the resurrection tells us. The fact that Jesus defeated death means death no longer has the final say in our lives. It also tells us we can have the Spirit of God living inside of us. Literally, God's Spirit, Scripture tells us, the Spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives within you. The resurrection guarantees all of these things for us. Another way for us to apply the resurrection, as we talked about just briefly earlier, is there may be some things in your life that you feel like God has shut, closed the tomb on, if you will. There may be some things in your life that you feel like, and are just dead. But God can resurrect those. I've seen this countless times of people in our church that God has come in their life and things that they thought were dead, God has just resurrected. Whether it was a desire to have children, they thought that desire was dead, and God says it's not dead. Let me resurrect that. Maybe it was a failing marriage that you felt like... There's no way this marriage is ever going to work. And God says, hold on, give me a second. I can resurrect that. Maybe it was a loss of faith. Maybe you're going through your life just struggling in your faith, even questioning whether you even believe there was a God. And God says, hold on, I can resurrect your faith as well. See, the resurrection brings us so much in our life. That's what the resurrection is. That's the gospel. Jesus died, was buried in resurrection so that we could have salvation, so that we could be made right with him, and so that we could experience that resurrection on a daily basis in our lives. But this gospel, this good news, is very personal. It's a very personal thing. And it's something that each and every one of us have to answer on a very personal level. We have to look within ourselves and answer some questions. Do we know Jesus as our Savior? A few questions for us to close out with. Number one, have you heard the gospel? The gospel is good news. The gospel is the fact that we were separated from God because of our sin. But the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, bridges the gap, provides us a way to get to God. 
Jesus told us this, no one comes unto the Father but by me. In other words, there's no other way to get to God except through Jesus. You won't be good enough. You won't do enough good things. You can't go to church enough. You can't give enough to get to Jesus. The only way to Jesus is through the cross. Have you heard the gospel? Number two, have you received the gospel? This is a huge question. And I'm not asking, have you go to church? I'm not asking if you were baptized when you were a kid. I'm not asking if your parents believe. I'm not asking you if your spouse believes. I'm asking you personally, have you received the gospel? You personally, have you come to a point to where you say, God, I need you in my life. God, I need you to forgive me of my sins. God, I recognize the fact that your death on a cross was for me. And I recognize the fact that, that, you, that you were buried, but then you rose again. And, and you, do, you did this so you could offer me life, so you could offer me hope. God, I recognize that that was for me, and I need that. See, that's what salvation is all about. We make salvation about a lot of different things. We try to make it about things that we do, how good we are. We try to make it about church attendance. We try to make it about service and all these different things. But when you just move all that stuff aside, just to cut it plain and dry and simple, salvation is about you placing your faith in Jesus. Not in your good works. Not in your church attendance. Now all those things are good. But the only thing... When we stand before God face to face and he asks us a very simple question, why should I let you into my kingdom? The fact that we went to Northside Baptist Church is not going to be an appropriate answer. The fact of, well, I was raised in church is not going to be an appropriate answer. The only appropriate answer is going to be the fact your son's death, it covered my sins. I trusted in your son. He covered my sins. That's going to be the only appropriate answer. So have you received the gospel? Number three, are you being changed by the gospel? This is really for those who have placed their faith in Jesus. Is the gospel still changing your life? See, for our past, we have justification. See, when we accepted Christ, he justified us, which means that he made it as if we had never sinned. He justified us, just as if I had never sinned. When Jesus looks at us, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin anymore if we place our faith in Jesus. But for your present, for your right now life, he sanctifies us, which means He's in the process of making us holy. He's in the process of changing us and making us more and more like him. But for so many of us, we accept Christ and we say, oh, thank you. I'm so glad that I know Jesus. And then we just go and we live our lives however we feel we need to. And we don't consult God at all. But we're good because we accepted Christ. But Jesus says, well, hold on. I've justified you. But now I want to sanctify you. I want to make you more and more like me. And for our future, we have glorification. Which means that one day, God will make all things right. 
And that's what we look forward to. Is that one day, this world as we know it is going to be changed. One day, these aches and pains. One day, the sickness. All that is going to go away. One day, the feeling of loss. It's going to go away. Shame, guilt, all those go away the moment that we see Jesus face to face. A couple next steps as we close out. Number one, have you received the gospel? Have you received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? It's only a question that only you can answer. I can't answer it for you. Your spouse can't answer it for you. Your parents can't answer it for you. Only you can answer that question. Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you placed your trust and your faith in Him? It's the first question. Some of you may be sitting in here and you may not have an answer to that question. You may be thinking, I'm not sure. And that's okay. What that means is, it just shows you where you're at on your journey. See, we're all on a journey. We're all on this spiritual journey, and we all have next steps that we need to take. Your next step may just be placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Allow Him to forgive you of your sins. But maybe you've already taken that step. Maybe you've taken that step and you know that you're a follower of Jesus. You know that you're saved. You know that Jesus has covered your sins. So the question I have for you, is the gospel still ringing true in your life? In other words, are you allowing the gospel to change you on a daily basis? Are you allowing God to sanctify you on a daily basis? Or have you said, God, thank you for saving me, but I can handle my life from here. God, thank you for saving me, but I, I don't need you any further. Are you allowing God to sanctify you on a daily basis? Would you bow your heads with me?